I'm John Hall. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. And ladies and gentlemen, this is Evan Watson of the Plan B Farm Brewery. And when I'm out there, I have a lot of songs. I got one song I showed you. So I've crossbred these um, three types of corn, Bloody Butcher, Blue Claridge, and Reed's Yellow Dent several years ago and seed saved those seeds. And now I have like three and a half acres of that corn that's out there. And when I'll be picking that, this is what'll go through my head. A song I made up about bloody butcher corn that goes, Bloody butcher, heirloom corn, the seed they planted when I was born. And in the field, there's nothing that yields as much as bloody butcher corn. And that'll just repeat in my head into complete madness. You can hear our full conversation and maybe another musical number coming up shortly but first this episode is brought to you by Tavor by downloading their mobile app you can get independent craft beer from 47 states delivered right to your door every day they feature two new beers that you cannot get in your local area decide which beers to add to your crate and at the end of four weeks or sooner if you choose they ship all of your beer for just $14.90 sign up today on the Tavor app and use the promo code thinkbeer to get $10 off a purchase of $25 or more This episode is also brought to you by Deschutes Brewery. Looking for a new main squeeze? Deschutes Brewery has created Fresh Haze IPA as a hazy twist on their iconic Fresh Squeezed IPA. This juice bomb explodes with orange citrus while backed by a soft malt body. Fresh Haze IPA carries both citrus and tropical fruit flavors from Mandarina, Amarillo, and Cashmere hops. You can find Deschutes Brewery beers in 32 states and two Canadian provinces. Go to DeschutesBrewery.com to find their beer near you. And... This podcast is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with smart and critical insights into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players making an impact and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Subscribe at BeerEdge.com. Hi, everybody. It's John Hall, and this is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. A few weeks ago, on a raw autumn afternoon, I drove up to New York Hudson Valley and visited with Evan Watson of the Plan B Farm Brewery. And as I got out of my car and started walking towards his tasting room, he met me with an axe in his hand. Fortunately, in the other hand was a magnum bottle of his barn beer, which is an ale that has been brewed with all local harvested ingredients to the land that we can all see around us. He opened it in the tradition that is uh, the brewery's way. We had a glass and we walked around the fields for a few minutes. We saw his beehives. I saw some acres where he's growing some corn. You've already heard the song that goes along with that. And we just sort of talked about brewing off of the land for a little bit. We went inside to the tap room. We poured ourselves some liters of lager. And I wanted to talk to him because not only is he a brewer and a farmer, but he's also a musician. He's a professional athlete or has played uh, professionally in the past. He is also a really thoughtful guy. He's one of these brewers that you meet and it transcends just beer itself. Uh, He wants to talk about life. He wants to talk about philosophy. He wants to talk about the things that are happening in the overall world. And it usually comes back to beer or how it relates to beer. But I'm never disappointed after I leave hanging out with Evan because he's so insightful uh, and really just an honest guy who has honest takes on everything. Here's our conversation. Hit me with the broad ones. Okay, uh, what am I excited about? 
we just put up a stage uh, that's beautiful and it's re it's been really nice and we're in the tap room and our barn bar and we have a lot of nice art around us we had an art opening it's been exciting to bring in artists friends of mine from the music world and uh, textile artists and uh, we had a muralist paint the back of the the stage I don't know it's been cool it's been an inspiring fall so far in terms of art that's I'm pretty excited about art I guess um, you see seems pretentious, no I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it does I, I I mean beer is a commodity mm -hmm. but it should also be an expression of a brewer and a place yeah, it is a big time commodity. I worked in the world of art and and chose to have a more solid and sane lifestyle by moving on to a commodity. And beer beer is very literal. Uh, I make a I make uh, a bad I brew a batch of beer, I grow ingredients on the farm. I'm lit, quite literally reaping what I sow and that was something that lacks in, in art. You you work so hard. I mean, you know, John, um, you work really hard and you hone a a skill, but there's no um, payment at the end of the day. There's no punching a clock. There's no yeah necessarily. And there are peaks and valleys. There are ebbs and flows of, of that world. You you spend a lot of time doing something, and then you end up um, not getting any reward from it. It, it can make you go crazy, but the cool thing about a commodity, and I don't necessarily believe that beer is art. This is a long conversation. No, we got time. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure that beer is is art. I do think it is a, um, it's a commodity. And the reason I chose this as, uh, uh, as a plan B, so to speak, is because it was something that I could distance who I am from. Right. Even though in well, I qualify that. Yeah. Okay. So even though this, this modern world of, of, of celebrity chefs and makers and popularity of getting to know who's making what is a thing. And there's an identity behind and a, a culture that comes with somebody who's creating. I feel like at the end of the day, you know, if I make some stupid pickle, beer. <laughs> Which is on tap right, right now, right, yeah. yeah. But if I make like barn barn beer, that's barn beer. It's not Evan Watson, you know. Like that's not me. And when I was making music, and maybe that was my my fault, and it all is, I never made it um, anything that wasn't exactly how I felt and who I was. And when you're trying to sell that, it's a really hard thing to to sell. Um, it's not a hard thing to sell. It's a hard thing to not sell. It's a yeah. hard thing when it's when it's not selling, when when you're not getting the, um, like I said before, when you're not reaping the rewards of of your efforts and you, and it's it's opinion based. And a human being as a commodity is not a very responsible thing, in my opinion. I don't know. I don't know if you're a big slavery guy, but I feel like <laughs> certainly not. Okay. Um, Jesus. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. All right, it's taken an ugly turn no, like no, already. No, no, but I I I I'm curious if maybe I'm wrong in my approach of saying beer is a commodity where it's or as, as art, beer the final product as art. Like beer is yeah. a commodity, but beer is the final product as art as opposed to 
the person who creates the art being an artist. Like if 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 there is a right. di- if there's a but difference I would, because there's some hmm. like when you talk about famous artists or even musicians and you look at their evolution where it's not just hey we're gonna play poppy songs for kids parties for the rest of our lives like hey we're gonna experiment with world music we're gonna experiment with the blues we're gonna experiment with X Y and Z because it's a never ending creative process and if you're only looking for X right. well somebody else is doing that these days and we've moved on to, to other things, unless you're doing arena stadium tours and then it's just here are our greatest hits. Yeah. Am I, am I getting that sort of, is that a little bit more accurate of like an artist versus final art? Yeah, I guess. No, I, if I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to follow I mean, your I, lead. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think that uh, one of us studied philosophy in college, and it wasn't me. So I, I don't know. It's all philosophy, right? We all—that's what we're studying every day. No, man, I studied journalism, and clearly, right now, I'm not making the grade. So no, no, yeah, you're doing good. Um, I think there's an artisanal uh, aspect. Like I know. And not to bring him in because he, he he wants to be conjured. Lord Voldemort, Augie Carton, oh, wants to be conjured here. I try, to, he do always the, says, I try to do these no shows There's no art in so art. Yeah. <laughs> There's no art in an art contest. He says all that stuff about. Yeah. And But I would bring up a conjurer, another name. Uh, and, and like Dan Suarez, I think, is a guy who's mastered a commodity. And I think Dan would like, would say, Hey, I do art. Maybe. I mean, we've had this conversation. I don't quite remember where he, he, um, he labeled him what he labeled himself as an artist or whatever. But I think Dan, whatever craft beer is Dan Suarez, Suarez family brewery embodies a craft an artisanship. Um, The, um, you know, there's a difference between the guy who, carved the marble in the Sistine Chapel in Michelangelo, right? There's an artisan, a guy that creates a a commodity that has been commissioned, and then there's something that didn't exist, and now it exists. And this is pretentious as fuck, but my... Can I say fuck? I'm sorry. Sure. (laughs) I shouldn't. No, that's fine. Sorry, Dad. But but what art is is something, in my opinion, that, that hasn't existed... And it's existing. And I guess that exists. I mean, but I, 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 in creation, it's hard. It's all these things are hard to quantify. I think, I don't know, maybe it's a dangerous road to, to start to, um, lay claim for me. I mean, I am, I guess, um, feeling I'm a privileged white dude that feels (laughs) emboldened that can claim what is and was, is not art, unfortunately, I guess. But what I what I want to see in art is something that creates friction and something that does not exist before. And I just don't think that that's really beer. And maybe that's true with, I don't know, pastry stouts or something, but that just seems like a commodity to me. It doesn't seem like uh, something that's pushing forward society. Maybe it is. I don't know. I find that really interesting though, because we're at this point where the beer world has changed so much in the last few years. Um, I mean, certainly in the last 40 years, but I, I, even within the last three years where there now are brewers who are making seltzers and there's brewers who are doing canned cocktails or, you know, people are trying to find sort of, you know, the, the, the next big thing. And it all still, everybody keeps using the word craft because it, it, it does sort of conjure up this can-do attitude or this scrappy way yeah. uh, uh, of doing it. And... I don't know when 
I'm visiting your brewery for the first time today. I've known you for years, but visiting here for the first time today, this strikes me as what most people will think of when it comes to craft when we get away from the marketing of, I mean, you're, you're growing rye a hundred feet from where we're sitting right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I know, mean, there's an apiary like right outside the window and all of this stuff is going into your beer. Everything, everything's sort of here. Like, sure. It's I don't the know, way I, things I, should exist. I think, you know, I, I, do you see like, but when people talk about craft beer and they say, New Belgium or Anchor or, you know, whoever else is out there these days. Like, are you craft like their craft? I, we, I think we talked about this. We've talked about this before, but I've been kind of examining the concept of craft beer or at least, I mean, these are all just, we're running with words that we maybe don't know. We have a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of interpretations of, of words and, yeah. and, and we each are individuals and we try to have a homogenous understanding of certain things. So a term like craft beer means for each individual person probably means something slightly different. Right. Um, but craft beer, as we understand it as like post uh, 1980s, um, you know, kind of as a, as a affront and a delineation from American macro beer that that whole, uh, you know, um, Jim Cook and, and Ken Grossman era of craft beer, I think is a wonderful thing, but I think it has very little to do with what I do. Uh, and I said that on uh, you know another podcast, sure. not to be named, but the uh, <laughs> that there was some type of <laughs> cleavage, because we got to throw in that, you know, down um, in, in time and history that at one point, uh, instead of going, hey, why don't we use local ingredients that are grown in this country and local yeast, local hops, and make these really crappy macro lagers more palatable and enjoyable. Instead of that, we decided in the 1980s to import Maris Otter grain that's been malted on the floors of, of England and, and Bavarian hops and, and yeasts from abbeys that have been cultured over the course of thousands of years and call that American local craft beer it's an importing concept because people had Duval or Sam Smith's or, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, whatever it was at the time, Guinness or whatever it was. And they're like, our beer sucks. This beer is good. Therefore, I have to use the ingredients that, is, Let's emulate that are in doing. these Trappist yeah. beers or whatever that I tasted once. Or I went on vacation and had this, this Bohemian lager that was incredible. It's way better. It's because it's way better than Bud because it's in this place and the only way to replicate that is to get that pills and malt from Pilsner and Quell or something like that. I mean, so much of that though is situational though of people who are on vacation and swear that the best Guinness they ever had was in Dublin because well, Guinness right, wants though. you to think that though. But they're also right. right because it's a mental thing as well, opposed to. Well, it also to... comes like right down the street from the brewery and it has a pub culture that is designed to pour that beer constantly. That there are little trucks that have 30 empty uh, 50 liters just running through the cobblestone streets of Dublin. That it's the greatest session beer of all time. And sure. It, and it is there because it's 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 just getting turned over and they're proper, uh, I mean, they're drunks. I mean, I'm a drunk but because I come from that. <laughs> but it's a proper use of the concept of a publican. It's where it comes from. And it just turns. It's just like water. It just runs through those, those taps in a beautiful 45 degree angle and a two part pour, you know? 
But getting back to your point, though, in those early days, <laughs> I just no, 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 go off about Guinness. No, I think that I, I love we Guinness. we absolutely can. And it's I mean it's it's a revolutionary beer in in a, in a thousand different ways. That, but but yeah. they also you know but they do try to convince you that the best pint of Guinness you're ever going to have is at right. their place at St James Gate in you know in in right. Guinness um, or in Dublin rather and. I think a lot of it is if you are on vacation or you are having a particularly good day somewhere. Sure. Like some of the best You're beers, relaxed. when we talk yeah. about the best beers that we've ever had, it's usually because of the company that we're with or the situation that we're in as opposed to the actual beer tasting a certain way at right. a certain time. You're delineating between the functionality of a beer at the end of the day that just gets you through maybe some kind of uh, philosophical, psychological thing. Oh, this beer tastes good, and then it also alleviates you through its inebriative effects. You can tell that John and I have we, 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 we've been here for the <laughs> better part of the test. morning at this point, um, which is fun. Inebriative. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> but anyways. We're and, well past the sound so, check phase, Evan. <laughs> so, but there's that delineation between here's a beer that's functional, yeah. and then when you're on vacation, every, right. at, there's no such thing as functionality, right? Like, you're, it's a world of learning and feeling, and in in, in that's, that's, yeah, oh, I can, of course you remember that, right? Because you're cushioned by relaxation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, but the desire to try to bring this back to some kind of conversation. No, no, no. It, I, the yeah. desire, you're right. I mean, the desire of that and having those experiences, and frankly, in the 19... 70s and 80s with maybe the exception of like your dad or my dad being like oh the the banquet beer like core is coming from the west. yeah we're the greatest yeah. Beer grandpa's ever. mewling it on his <laughs> right, way back from yeah. the west coast but with yeah. the exception of that in this country there's really no excitement about about those beers and and certainly at you know if you can it's it's the industrial revolution and commodity and all that stuff that made these beers pretty shitty versus these beers that have stayed in tiny regionalisms and countries that are you know whatever's in that field over there uh, john is that is pure it's a i'm sorry to use that word but it's a pure thing and it's going to come in here in these heirloom corns i go going to come in here in that yeast i cultivate from the beehives are going to come into this barn and I'm going to make something that is exactly this, and it's going to have really pure intentions in its creation, right? It's not about commodity. It's not trying to please anybody, but trying to make the best out of what I have. And when we started deciding to commodify beer, I know I'm kind of uh, no, no, no. I, I opposing I my up. initial yeah, argument of beer a as bit. a commodity. But when we try to commodify beer intensely through the Industrial Revolution post-prohibition, we, we just made it bland. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's like, they're not good. Those beers aren't good. I mean, I, I'll defend AB as a business, strangely, but I, I don't think sure. the beer is good. I mean, that or like an Augustiner Hellas. I mean, come on, you know? Like, there's no there's no comparison. Those beers are, are completely different, and one is terrible. Sure, but <laughs> people know what they're getting when they walk in the door for one of those. And that's got to be the tougher sell sure. for you, right? Where I make a little amount of beer. And the, and the expectation when people come here is I expect this beer to represent my experience here. And that's the goal. Right. To have a consistency of this beer, not as, you know, the appropriate hops or, or fusels or phenols or 
or you know ABV consistency, grain consistency, any of those things. It's that this beer tastes like this place. That's my consistency. That's my quality control. Is that when you're here and the cherry wood is smoldering outside and there's like a abnormally good band because of my past and music that's playing up on that stage and you're in this old barn you're looking out over the leaves changing you see the apiary yeah you see that bobcat trying to steal one of my chickens that it that beer tastes like that. no now you're just making that up but no there is a bobcat you guys have a bobcat on the property no i'm not not keeping him all right well when it gets (laughs) cold out bring him inside though yeah really that's what you're supposed to to murder your children Come on, John. Just put them down in the in the cellar with the cool ship. Oh and, yeah, uh, with and the, the mice. Other, with the food. And uh, <laughs> food yeah, source. we got the red tail hawks out here as yeah, well. Um, I guess that sort of brings me though to this the, this interesting thing because your beers, and I'm guilty of this. We were talking about this before we started recording, but I'm guilty of always thinking about like, well, don't you want to be bigger or what style is this or X, 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 Y, and Z. But on the, on the style thing, one styles don't necessarily exist anymore, but you're not trying to brew to a particular style. I take it. Yeah. It was an epiphany. I mean, that's just what I've done. And then it's an epiphany that I've had lately is like, Oh, I've never brewed. I've never tried to meet the market. Right. Like half, even half, <laughs> just like this is what these things will be. And hopefully the market will come to me because that's what distinguishes something in the great sea of the market. Right. Is something I mean, it's a it's a gamble, I guess, from an um, economical perspective. But for me, I, I mean, it's a novelty of I mean, of privilege in a sense. Right. I mean, we've worked we have no money and we worked really hard, but there's still an element of privilege of being like a six foot three white dude in this country. I mean, it's it's built in. It's hard to have a business if, and that's all about frivolity and whatever you want in a sense. And as that is craft beer, in my opinion, or this whole thing. Do you view brewing as frivolity, though? I mean, no, like, no, this, not this, at all. This, I mean, this, I'm just talking built about on the your... greatest. The, and we don't need to get into the greater scheme of these things. And there was a, a big hot button issue this week about um, those kinds of things. But it's it's hard for this will certain... air later on. You're talking about founders. Yeah. But yeah. This this is going to air sure. a couple of weeks from now, but yeah, but it go trust, back and research me, founders. It, folks. it will not change that. There's, there's certain people that have been built into this infrastructure of this country and this, that have less privilege because of just the nature of, of, of the way this country was constructed. And I am lucky to have that. That's why I think it's weird. I, you, 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 yeah. Cause you've talked about this now. You, you've dropped that on, our conversation now within the last 20 minutes or so several times. So do you feel like you have a responsibility then when you mash in or when you're no, like, I mean, I, I'm I, just trying to look, figure out how we I, get from, I just, I guess I'm you don't saying, make styles what I'm to saying this. Is, I'm sorry. What I'm saying is that I'm lucky. And if I felt the pressure of, of economy and those things, yeah, like really pushing down on me all the time, then I wouldn't have these luxuries. Okay. And there are there are head starts for certain people, and that's a reality in the fabric of this society. Getting loans and all of those things—it's very—it's much easier for 
for somebody like me than other people. And, and that's terrible. Let me make that very clear that that is terrible. And so I'm saying all of this ultimately. And that's why I think, you know, when we talk about big beer, AB and Bev mm-hmm. as big beer versus because it's a bunch of like guys, uh, white guys like me that played football yeah. in college or whatever and like beer that are trying to make a stand and, and they have, they've had no hurdles in their life. So they're trying to make a hurdle out of something that's not a hurdle. This is this is capitalism, unfortunately. We are involved in capitalism. AB and Bev does it better than everybody else. That's the reality, in a sense, or have been doing it longer, right? Now, to, <laughs> I'm just going off. Track. Yeah, go for it. But the to get it back to style, it certain. I mean, we have luxury, like my buddy Dan or my buddy Chris Basso at Newburgh. He started Chris Basso incredibly hardworking guy but isn't you know we all start with a like a solid family and a certain color of skin that apparently helps us out in these things which i'm just learning about yeah and it becomes insulated in that capacity and chris has that scenario dan has that scenario i have that scenario but chris can say i want to make only session beers under four percent alcohol because of that right when newberg started and um, Dan Suarez can just make the beer he wants to because he feels he's got a certain amount of comfortability and privilege. That he doesn't feel that that hammer, that strong arm of capitalism hitting quite as hard as other people. I think it's true. And that's the same with me. I'm only saying that because that's the same with me is that I've been lucky. To ha- Am I just digging myself a hole? No, I don't think you're digging yourself a hole. But I, I, I also wonder if you also have the benefit of time. In that the guys in the 70s, 80s, even through the 90s or the last decades, like they had to put in the time to and the recipes and the styles to create a craft beer experience that exists today. And now with 8000 breweries in the country, there's room for you to do everything that's grown here and to just sort of like be your own guy. But if you had tried doing this in the 1970s, like... I don't. I don't know if you would have been able to succeed. Maybe. Probably. And maybe, and maybe, maybe it would have changed the trajectory that That's you were talking about in the, like, in the beginning. Yeah, I don't understand why that didn't happen. I mean, I do understand, but I like to imagine an alternate universe where that didn't happen. And what do you think beer would look like at that point? We. It would look like where it's going now. I think it's to the um, you know in the food movement forever. It's been you go to even crappy restaurants and they're. They're toting farm-to-table quality. I mean, that's the thing. It's local. Everything is ingredients that are like. I think you would see. I think you would see uh, more pride in a and smaller agriculture. I mean, that's what we've seen grow in New York State over the yeah. last six years. You've seen bigger ag and Monsanto large fields turn over to making or trying Cornell's um, abstract, uh, you know, breeding. Barley, six rows and two row barleys and rye and, uh, you know, triticale and spelt and all these different and ancient grains, these kinds of things. You've seen that happen. You've seen farmers literally um, take a chance away from their heavy spray homogenized crops to these little farms. It's And that helps out because they get more per pound of from, they get more per pound from maltsters from their barley than they do from the government subsidies yeah. or China or whoever from their corn, from their GMO corn. I guess the question, though, becomes 
changing the public's perception of because and this goes that before we started recording i was asking about like oh would Wait, you ever recording <laughs> can you erase all would that you... stuff i was saying about white people i was asking if Yikes. you put on you know uh some sort of you know new thing and then you were talking about another thing that you wanted to do and i i don't want to spoil it on here but like um there there's this sort of like growth perspective that comes with it and then there's also uh, when we think about American business these days of like, well, how much bigger can you get and how much bigger, do, you know, do you aspire to be? But then at the same time, there's also the consumer base where it's like, hey, yes, you can grow these heritage grains and then you can, uh, you know, harvest the stuff and you can you can say, OK, well, we're getting more per pound. But then that's also going to then go to the consumer and the consumer is trained to look for the best price and. You're, you'll, you will get the people who will pay a premium for something of quality. Yeah. But craft is still 13% of the overall marketplace. And when we talk about craft as 13%, we're basically talking Sam Adams, Sierra Nevada, like the top sure. 100 breweries that are doing... Or a million barrels a year. Yeah, a million barrels down to 100,000 barrels a year. And you're doing how many? Uh, probably like under 500, right. So, like, or So like you barely register in yeah. all of that. But you're making beer that people want, but people also know when they come here yeah. that they'll do it. But the guy who is a craft beer fan, air quotes, who will buy his Sam Adams Oktoberfest or whatever, he might come here and look at one of your bottles of beer and be like, I can't justify that. I can get two cases of my, you know, my go-to shiner for that. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I mean, I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer to that quandary. But 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 that's sort of the tough thing of like those early days of... Yeah, I, 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 I maybe think it would have st- maybe the, it would have changed the time. I maybe think it would have so. changed I mean, the time. If you look at something, a place like Bavaria, we also might have been smaller. Like craft beer might be smaller today if it had gone that route. But well, maybe are, it'd be a little bit examples. more. There okay. are like Anchor Steam and Yingling and these examples that date way back to the, to a bunch of Puritans that found this country deciding it wasn't beer was bad for you. Yes. Um, we have that. I mean, but I think it would look, if you look at Bavaria, you look at places, like, you know, other countries, they've got big breweries. But there's but always going to be the people who come in. Like, you must have people who come in and look at this and say, well, we can franchise this. We can make this into a Cracker Barrel. <laughs> you think so? I, it already kind of looks like a Cracker Barrel. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm waiting to be seated for my country ham, but like, it's, uh, yeah. But, but... I mean, but that's the thing. Like, people sort of see it in a commodity way as opposed to, like, just on the face value of yeah. it as opposed to then walking down into your basement or, you know, yeah. encountering your bobcat on the way to the car, which, like, I'm now, <laughs> you're you know, I, I really am, actually. Just take it's, one of those mice you found. <laughs> throw it out of the way. <laughs> Distract them. Yeah. Here you go. It's still twitching. Um, <laughs> God, that's going to stay with me. Um, it's going to stay with me, man. Uh, um, this is the end of Plan B Farm. <laughs> is that what you're trying to do? That's yeah. it. Yeah, I'm here on behalf of uh, Mega Brew USA uh, yeah. to to take you down. Um, no, but I, there's got to be people are looking at it beyond. Yeah, I mean, my, what it is well, right I now. Can't, <laughs> I got to bring up my business partner and life partner, my wife Emily, who's an excellent business person and yes. is very concerned with the numbers and making this a reality and uh, affording us a life that isn't uh, that is that is 
manageable and fine and nice and and I mean she yeah I don't know I you're talking about commodifying conceptually plan B I mean I we have this written into our our contract that we are investors we got investors to to get to this stage from our tiny little shack in Fishkill and in that contract there is talk of like a plan B kind of franchising of I don't know if it's relevant anymore in the market, but at that time, at least it seemed like it could be a cool thing to have. But the way that looked was I, uh, somebody would come here for like a few months and learn the way of farming and building up yeast from property, managing things and fermenting an oak and all those, all that stuff. And then take it to wherever it is, Pennsylvania or Jersey or, yeah. or even Hawaii or whatever that meant. And then they would start on a one barrel system, just like we did. And they would use the limitations of what they had to ferment with the same kind of general philosophies that we've established. And then that would create a thing. I don't think it's a great idea anymore, but at that time there was that concept of franchising, but it's more of like a preaching some kind of gospel or, or, um, you know, You're or, the John or, the Baptist or, or, yeah. Yeah. or writing a, you know, writing a book for somebody. I don't recommend it. Yeah, yeah, I know. But writing a book that says these are the principles that I adhere to. If you adhere to these principles or these perceptions or this way to look at the world, you can, you know, create something that's similar to plan B and then that would have a plan B, um, name but i don't know when you mash in when you walk the farm you know alone here in the mornings uh you know when you're unlocking the doors when you're whatever it is the goats feeding the goats like whatever it is that you're doing is there a mantra is there a philosophy is there something that's sort of just in the back of your brain thankful i'm just thankful it's incredible to get a walk around here. It's inspiring. I'm thankful for my life. And, and I, I feel like, I guess that's what it is. And I'm an entertainer. I know that maybe whatever I was going to say, because whatever I say, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Just to get this thought across whenever, uh, whatever I was saying about having a privilege, I feel like I owe that back to people. And my way of thinking about that is look, if I can provide an experience for somebody that it, when they go back to uh, to Park Slope or whatever, and they're washing their hair in their apartment, in their brownstone, and they smell that cherry wood smoke, they think about Ron the goat, or they think about my sweet daughter Ellie running around and showing them the chickens in the garden and things like that. If they think about that, and that has altered their life in any capacity, then I've given something back to somebody's sense memory, to somebody's... Um, life uh, and that's what i or created I, one for the first right. time yeah created one for yeah but they're general um whatever we the building blocks of our perception of of somebody you know sense memories is some stuff that our favorite stuff when you're on vacation and you yeah. have that pilsner and quell milk pour that's all foam or whatever you know like that thing is really important to me and that's what i'm trying to do and i have very i have a very shitty grasp of economy and capitalism, all those things. And that's why I'm very lucky to have somebody that tethers me to those things and, and makes this place functional. But ultimately, if I could just trade stuff for, for, I used to say if I could trade, you know, a keg of barn beer for a slab of fatback bacon or something like that, I'd be cool with that. But in reality, (laughs) 
I, I that really, economy of scale doesn't work. But I yeah. really, but I really think, and this is this is the privilege, but this is also me trying to put back the privilege. If I could give every single person beer for free and play them my music for free, which might not be good or bad, you know, like maybe I'm torturing them, but to be able to entertain somebody for free, just be, so they come and and it makes their life better. That is honestly where I'm coming from. Is there a correlation between your life as a musician and your life as a brewer? I, yeah, it's just me. Like all this is me. It's, like I was saying before, um, being a musician, your name's on a silly album cover or something. But uh, in this, my name's less on the, the bottles of the beer, right? It's more of a commodity, but it's still like, I'm just trying to trick people into coming and playing a brewer's basketball tournament with right. me, you know, I'm trick, tricking people to come hang out and, and drink large uh, frosted mugs of, of somebody else's lager and have a conversation over. over I mean, this the, is, this the is internet, the best Tuesday you know? I've had in a long time. So yeah. Well, Tuesdays generally suck. Yeah. So. Sorry, Ruby Tuesdays. <laughs> Yeah, they're not going to be buying into your Plan B franchise plan no, now. There's uh, no Fridays. Yeah, there's no. Do <laughs> <laughs> so you think that Ruby? I think Ruby Tuesdays began before TGIFs, right? I I, I don't know. I in haven't the, actually thought about fast casual restaurants I, in this way for well, a while. I always do. Uh-huh. But <laughs> when uh, life in Poughkeepsie. Do you huh? think that when Ruby Tuesdays? I think they existed before TGIFs. I'm just going to make that statement. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Internet. I like that we're 33 minutes in when the drugs kicked in for you. So this is, uh, yeah. Fear no, no, no. But, but follow fear through with your. Fear and foaming. Yeah. <laughs> Poughkeepsie, New Jersey. Or New York, yeah. Or New Jersey. Um, Poughkeepsie, no, New Jersey sounds my better. Only, no, it was yeah. a joke. It was that Ruby Tuesdays, they must have gotten really upset when TGF. They're like, oh, we picked Tuesday? <laughs> you know? I didn't know Friday was available. Oh, that was your dad joke. Yeah. Good. It's all dad jokes. Good. <laughs> terrible um let's talk about bees because yeah. it's something that we're not thinking enough about these days and they're crucial for the planet and they are sort of amazing little bugs uh, in their own way and True. we sort of treat them as a nuisance but you're doing some really cool things uh with your apiary here and your uh with your honey, uh, the listeners of Steal This Beer will remember when uh, you came down uh, with Barry from Kent Falls and uh, you were pouring, right, as Barry from Kent Falls you were on, and yeah, you yeah. were pouring your honey mead, which blew all of us away of just, it's like 2% alcohol and just simply cool. delightful or thereabouts. Yeah, well water and yeah. honey, no yeast pitch, natural. Um, but like one of these things where uh, when Augie's sober, uh, we'll come back to it a time and time again and just be, it's, it's brilliant. Nobody could ever recreate it, which is actually also probably true. Um, There's a certainly seasonality to it. Yeah. Um, how much do bees play a role in your plan B? They're strange creatures. They're, you know, my wife, Emily, aside from being uh, the best bookkeeper, is an excellent beekeeper. Uh, yeah. Dad jokes. I don't know if that's a joke. I was just, that's like how you write a story. I yeah. was more of speaking in prose. Okay. Either way. Either way, I rolled oh. my eyes. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> One way or the other, it's going to happen, oh, though. No. Um, but M-, M takes care of the bees, but the bees take care of us in the sense that they 
are always foraging and and, and helping us incorporating every little tiny bit of flora and uh, um, seasonal these both invasive and and I mean, invasive is kind of a relative term, but these yeah. these species that grow on our wild farm of, of flowers and herbs and and weeds, quote unquote weeds that they uh, they pull from the nectar of and and then are also um, laden with the pollen of and bring back to the hives. And then from that in the spring and the honey, we cultivate our yeast, our mixed culture more than just yeast, but a mixed culture that ends up fermenting all the beers. And there's a homogenization and that all we, f- we don't have any stainless steel fermentation. Everything's an oak. So there's a, a um, element of homogenization within the wood, the porous nature of the wood that creates kind of a, the bread and things that live and survive in the wood creates a kind of similarity to a lot of the beers, but there is a, a pretty extreme regionality or a seasonality to to cultivating that honey. And then like right now we're in the end of October and we were, the bees are desperate. Things are getting cold, but it, we're right at the end of goldenrod season. And so it's uh, something that grows pervasively all around here and yeah. then it goes to a big golden flower or small golden flowers on a big long weed. And they just eat that up and, and then they try to make it through the winter and then you do. help them out as best you can. We can. Yeah, we feed them and we try to and and that's farming too. I mean, they're farming in a way, you know. I mean, they're 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 facilitating farming. They're they're pollinating everything. I mean, it's it bees are strange. I think bees and cats might have come from another planet. <laughs> <laughs> but they they do uh bees definitely have this crazy crazy world of, and it's an organism that is that has thousands of of female members almost exclusively yeah that also um communicates perfectly wait a second <laughs> wait a second john all right we keep we keep going back to these same themes uh we were so we were downstairs we were looking at uh uh you had these barn doors in your basement here that open up and we can see the 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 hives uh hanging out uh, and then your cool ship is there. Mm-hmm. And then you said to me something that I, I, I then responded with, I want to mine this because I find this really interesting, where you called the uh, cold, cool ship season bunk. Like you 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 called nonsense on it. Well, no, I mean, it, it, it thinks, I feel like I love romanticizing concepts. Sure. Just like the next guy. Yeah. Jeff next. Allworth and I call them romantic facts when it comes to beer. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's great about it. I mean, I, I, my beer making is, is pretty much just like my Viking, uh, forefathers, predecessors. It's just stick a magic stick in there, pour some honey in there, see what happens. Yeah. You know? It's just magic and ethereal. But what have you found from using a cool ship? But the, uh, to say, well, I'll say this, like I'm using it, I'm pitching a mixed culture. So that is different than making Spontaneous, spontaneous beer in the yeah. in the history and the, the storied history of the Cine Valley and and um, Brussels and all those places that make beautiful goose and lambic. So uh, that being said, there is a thought because of our craft beer roots of importing other people's ingredients and concepts to try to replicate something. 
that for spontaneous beer to be made, you have to have a particular type of weather, which in, in, in a, falls in a particular um, time of year, which I, the, I don't think is wrong. But yeah. I, this, is, this, is what, this, this is what I'll say, and probably I'm wrong. I'm definitely wrong. But I'll say I think it's be that time of year historically for two reasons, and it's not because that's when all the best yeast and bacteria is available to ferment um, spontaneously ferment wort. Yeah, I think it's because it's cold, right? But yeah. not too cold. And it's first and foremost, a, a, a cool ship was a vessel to cool wort before heat exchangers existed. Sure, right. So when it's cold, that happens quicker, yes. right? And then the second thought for me is the antithesis of kind of how we've romanticized it as Americans in that there's the, it's post-harvest. We're talking about in the fall, late fall, yeah, and then not in the dead of winter, but early spring, right? When it's, it's post-harvest and it's pre-germination, it's in a time of our world in the Santa Valley world where things are, there's the least amount of yeast and there's the least amount of bacteria. And that's what you want because you do want homogenization points. I mean, if you have Dreyfontein, how do you say Dreyfontein? Yeah. Dreyfontein. If you have something like that versus you have... Frank, oh, you mean the three fountains? Yeah. Yeah. Versus Frank Boone. And I know there's just a blend of Lindemans and all this stuff in the yeah. three fountains. But if you have Frank Boone's beer, uh, Marriage Parfait, or just Boone Goose, over and over, there is such a homogenized quality to that beer because there's such a history of that building. Yeah. And the more you have history in your building, the more you're developing a seasoned, homogenized place that is a home i mean what's more likely that the britannomyces that likes to thrive at 80 degrees fahrenheit on a 32 degree fahrenheit day or a 34 fahrenheit day right. is falling into your cool ship and growing tremendously or the britannomyces that likes to live in wood is falling from the wood above that's like next to your boiler that's 80 degrees fahrenheit <laughs> and nothing is coming in from outside yeah right i mean so that's my point is that it's kind of this there is this concept i think that maybe i'm wrong that um, spontaneous brewers in America are like, this is the time of year that all the good shit's out in the air. When I think it's actually the opposite. It's when there's almost nothing in the air. Is that what you found has worked for your beers? Well, like I said, I... I, I, I mean, you have a I couple pitch, of years in now. And, and like, I do you, spontaneous you must have beer. Done yeah. Some sort of trials. Oh, certainly. I mean, yeah. there is completely the other concept to not brew in the summer because there's too much bacteria readily available. We're stopping brewing in August. Completely, because it's just even if I pitch quickly and generally I'll bring up from the cool ship into a heat exchanger to get work to a, a responsible pitching temperature. Even then, I've got an inoculation of Acetobacter and other bacterias that I'm not that are not preferable to my palate right. that are that are thriving. Or we got our first kind of major pediococcal slimy thing recently from those summer months. Oh man, like that is not it's not ideal. No, and. I mean, it, they. I mean, the they want it. The they want that pediococcal slimy thing. The Belgians do. They say it makes more complex acidity. But if you're trying to turn around a barn beer, that's like a, it doesn't work. No. That yeah. And so there's there is a constraint to the usage of it in heat, and I believe in that because obviously when it's when it can't get below ninety degrees outside overnight, then you're just having all kinds of fun 
it's a party. It's like a big frat party on that work in the cool ship, right? Yeah. But you, I don't know if you've ever been to a frat party. John, no, and I no, I was never invited never in college. Invited. I wasn't. Uh, well, then I'm just. I wasn't the cool guy, but uh, not I was, only I was on stop the football team. This line of questioning, <laughs> I'm gonna leave my own farm because I thought you were cool. Well, no. that was your first mistake. Everybody who's ever met me has never accused oh, me of no. being cool. <laughs> like that's you know, like no. if my wife was here right now, she'd be like, oh no, like it was oh, you know, no. it was a pity first date. Um, well, I'll say real quick yeah. to wrap it up, tie it up. You don't want a frat party <laughs> in that cool ship because it's it's really fun for a night, but uh-huh. it just smells awful the next day, right? I'll, I have to and take your word on that. Yeah, and then <laughs> what you want is a symphony. You ever listen to the symphony? John? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's you're, why I was because I, was, I wasn't at the frat parties. I was at home listening <laughs> to the Friday Night Symphonies on WQXR. Yeah, um, but that's what you want. That's what you want. You don't want a frat. <laughs> oh no! This is turned into a therapy. It's a therapy session. Yeah, uh, we need to get that beat up couch upstairs down here so I can lie down and just. Uh, so, Doctor Watson, what I really feel oh, like is happening no, in my life. That's not what I wanted. Um, but the, I would that say makes sense, the though. symphonic movement, you want those things. You want everybody to join the party, sit down in their seats at the Philharmonic, like all these uh, thousands of microbes to take their seats. And then you want the string section. You want the bass. You want the timpani. You want all these guys, the pediococcus, the Britannomyces, to, to slowly bring you through movements over the course of three years, essentially, fermentation. For spontaneous beers, that is. Do you hear music in your head when you're making a beer uh, no i mean i hear music in my head all the time so yeah. yes but i mean not it's not necessarily i'll tell you when i'm like for instance like you saw the big cornfield mm-hmm. if i'm going through there and picking when i'm doing monotony like beer beer is monotonous in spurts but then it's also very involved in spurts and i'm usually pretty focused when i'm when i'm trying to make beer but when i'm farming and planting or harvesting by hand a lot of things and when i'm out there i have a lot of songs i got one song i showed you so i've I've crossbred these um three types of corn bloody butcher blue claridge and reeds yellow dent several years ago and seed saved those seeds and now i have like three and a half acres of that corn that's out there and when i'll be picking that this is what will go through my head a song i made up about bloody butcher corn that goes Bloody butcher, heirloom corn, the seed they planted when I was born. And in the field, there's nothing that yields as much as bloody butcher corn. And that'll just repeat in my head into complete madness. Now, now whose uh, therapy session is it, John? I, I don't have <laughs> anything else to follow up with that. That is... Do you want to say it with me? No, I, Take I, a third? <laughs> Because you could go nothing that ye, 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 ye. no, I can't. I can't no. hit any of that. That's mm. um. Everybody should come and visit here. I think. Well, thanks. Uh, this is for you coming and visiting. Yeah, it, it's it's been a long time uh, in 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 the making for me, but I think that this is this is one of those breweries where you know you don't walk in and there's not you know the traditional metal chairs and. You know the 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 brushed metal bar and the Edison bulbs and all of that kind of thing. I, I guess you have like kind of Edison no. bulbs. No, they're not as no. They're, they no they're they're just dusty. Yeah, um, you've done something that is actually like an extension of the land here, 
and it shows up in the beer. It shows up when you hang out, and I like that. Like it just it's it's if you're thinking about where you wish things had gone forty years ago, I think you're there of yeah. where you would have been at that point. Yeah, we are, and and we're just it's fun to just try try to make whatever this is more succinct as an experience and also make it uh, like to build little huts down there. You can walk a path through the apple orchard and have a lager cave and have a little thatch roof pub where I'm pouring real ale and these things, these concepts I have that'll all still be right in the wheelhouse of what we do. I think if you create the little thatch roof uh, pub with, uh, with real ales though, it has to be a speakeasy. Like we, you can't just advertise that. Like we have to know, well, the, and it has to be like one of those things, like where it's like a true speakeasy, where you just start walking down a path, and then like, <laughs> yeah. it, it's like you get like fifty, hundred, three hundred yards in, and you're like, well, this is wrong, and then you need to go another fifty to like get to it, that kind of thing. And then there's and a, then there's the password. one leg, and then you have to sing the, the buddy a, butcher corn, yeah. uh, buddy butcher. Right at the front door. Yeah. Yeah. And knock and the thresh will knock thrice. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for sitting down with me. I really Dude, appreciate this. This was a lot of fun. I'm a big fan of you. I, I wish you all the best of luck in your future endeavors, John. Thanks very much. You're yeah. a big part of that. And uh, thanks for thanks for being on the show. Yeah, my pleasure, bro. All right. We'll talk soon. That's Evan Watson of the Plan B Farm Brewery in New York State. Go visit them when they're open on the weekends. Go drink barn beer and lagers or anything else that he has on offer. You can also walk away with some uh, some eggs if you pay for them and other fun things that uh, come straight from the farm as well. Uh, you won't be disappointed. This episode is brought to you by Tavor. With the Tavor app, you can browse beers from nearly every state, pick the ones you want, and have them delivered to your door for one flat rate, no matter how much you purchase. Now you can stock your fridge with beers you've always wanted to try, but were never close enough to get in person. This isn't a Beer of the Month Club, this is Tavor, and when you download their app and use promo code THINKBEER, you'll get $10 off a purchase of at least $25. Thanks to their support for this episode. This episode is also brought to you by Deschutes Brewery. Extra time, craft, and passion are part of every Deschutes beer, including Fresh Squeezed IPA, available all year round. Fresh Squeezed IPA is full of juicy citrus and grapefruit flavors, as if fresh citra and mosaic hops were squeezed straight into every bottle. You can find Deschutes Brewery beers in 32 states and two Canadian provinces. Go to DeschutesBrewery.com to find their beer near you. This show is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with smart and critical insights into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players making an impact and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Subscribe at BeerEdge.com. Before we go, I just want to let you know that next week on the program, I sit down with the guys from Dovetail Brewing in Chicago. We go really deep into Roush beers, and it's not as uninteresting as that might sound at first blush, I promise. Our theme music is composed by Nate Schweber. The show is produced by Beer Edge. It was put together by me, so sorry for any technical flubs. I'm working on getting better with that. 
If you have questions, if you have guests you'd like to hear on the show, suggestions for that, suggestions on topics or other things that we should be addressing, you can reach out to me directly. It's johnhall at beeredge.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beeredge.com. Or you can join the social media revolution and talk to me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Thanks so much for listening. If you've liked what you've heard so far, we got more planned every Wednesday. We're going to be putting out new episodes. If uh, you want to subscribe, we would appreciate that. If you want to give us a rating, we'd also appreciate that. It'll help other people find the show as well. And thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. We'll be back next week to drink beer and to think beer all over again. Cheers. Cheers.